So Data is officially a person. That's adorable. I always said he was. Adorable is not a word that I would use to describe the measure of a man. But really? if that's how you felt about it, then that's fine. I did. Okay. Well, I, this was a Data episode. You like Data. I like Data. Uh, this is probably the finest Data. I mean, you know, I'm not really saying anything that no one else has ever said. But oh, this the is rest are going to suck? Probably the finest Data episode that we've had so far. Um, notice I didn't say the finest oh, Data good. episode ever. I thought that's where you were, you were going with it. No. That, that other lore episode is going to... Well, you know, The Measure of Man is certainly, I think, it, 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 you know, no question, it's the best episode of the show so far. Yeah. Um, I don't think that you would disagree with that. I, 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 I think that you can see that this is, uh, it, this is what, you know, when I said that there was one classic episode in the second season, yeah. this is this it. This is it. Um, this is definitely up there with the best of Star Trek. I mean, this is up there with Balance yeah. of Terror. This is up there with The Devil in the Dark. Um, you know, this is up there with a lot of episodes of Star Trek. No, I can see why. I mean, I love, you know, I love Data. You know, I love the whole question of is Data a person? You know, does Data have a soul? Is, you know, all of the philosophical issues that Data deals with. You know, Star Trek has always been interested in this question of, I think in this episode, it it calls it personhood. Um, but it's basically who has the right, who, has, who should have dignity, who should have rights, who should we accept? And, you know, in... The original Star Trek, it kind of gave that question in Spock and, you know, saying, you know, oh, no, even an alien is someone that we should be giving, you know, tolerance to and, you know, is as capable, you know, even an alien, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's yeah. you know, you have, uh, you know, you have different characters of different races, you know, men and women on the bridge. You have, you know, Yahura, which is saying, you know, yes, no, a black woman is were, is just as capable as everyone else. An alien is just as capable, you know, and. In this data, these are, yeah, and these are not questions that the next generation grapples with because those questions have already been answered. No, but at the same time, now it's taking it. It takes it even further. It uses data to say, okay, well, we agree that you know everybody deserves certain rights. Now, where are we defining who gets those? Because there are still questions of that. I mean, if we've seen the time since you know Star Trek: Next Generation came out, I mean, this is the. These aren't settled questions in our society. So absolutely, this yeah. show, you know, the show does recognize that. Yes, even though we have had the Civil Rights Act, and you know, even though you know most sane people will agree that you know certain things, um, there is still this question of who has dignity, and by constantly using data to question that, it's saying you know even even a machine, quote unquote, has that right. You know, Picard keeps going. This is something he says in this episode. You know. He's a machine made of wires. We're machines of flesh and blood. He said that before. Right. You know, that's his way of saying, you know, it doesn't really matter what counts as a person is. The episode doesn't quite go and say it's sentience, but sentience because I don't think it wants to paint itself into any corners right now. Um, But it kind of right now that's a working definition it's using. Yeah, I think that's interesting because, you know, Star Trek is very interested in this idea of sentience in general. Yeah. And, you know, what what is sentient life? What is not sentient life? What does that mean for rights? What does that mean for responsibilities? And, you know, Commander Maddox, who wants to perform these experiments on Data, um, and and Data basically um, doesn't need, you know, his opinion is that Data doesn't need to consent because Data is a machine. Um, And the interesting thing is that, you know... And further, the property of Starfleet. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So because that is kind of the question of the episode. But anyway, right? Is he property or is he is he um, yeah is he a person? Um, something that Guinan puts forward very yeah. very carefully, and of course, you know that that's uh, of course interesting as well because Whoopi Goldberg is a, a black yeah. woman. Talk, well, when she's saying you know I wouldn't slavery. call it slavery. Yeah, um, I mean that that's a very I I, I think that when she kind of challenges Picard to say, no, this is slavery is what we are talking about. Like we, you know, and she cut through the bullshit. That's the term. I mean, it does. And she doesn't, she doesn't say that, you know, she leads Picard yeah. to the point, but, but, but she lets him make that final leap comes, for himself. It comes more. I, I say that's a stronger statement coming from her or stronger. It's led more strongly coming from her. And especially even the subtext, knowing that, you know, Whoopi Goldberg, you know, talked a lot about how Nichelle Nichols was one of the reasons she became an actress, you know, yeah, was a, yeah. I, you know, that that's I, I think there is a lot of subtext in that scene that makes the episode so much stronger, actually. Yeah, no, I would say so. Um, you know, I think it's interesting because Commander Maddox portrait, you know, puts forward this yeah. three uh, three point definition of, of of what sentience is, and you know, I, I don't know that I want to talk about that necessarily because you know whether or not that's um, actually a good working definition I, of what sentience is. I feel I've heard that before, and at least for 1988, I think that's you know kind of what they called it. You know? Yeah, and I think it's you know I think it's interesting because. Picard's defense of data is less to do with proving he's alive than saying you can't prove he's not alive. Um, it's about putting forward doubt and it's about it's yeah. about humility in a way, really. And that's one of the things I think that I like the most about Star Trek is that it allows for a humility and it allows for, hmm. uh, you know, a doubt and saying we don't know everything. And so we should be very careful to remember that at all times. And we should be yeah. very conservative about what we do, but we should be very liberal about what rights we grant. And I think you see that in the prime directive, for example, yeah. where the Federation is saying, you know, we don't know everything. We don't know what the implications of what we're doing is going to be. And so we need to set up rules that make sure that we don't do that. I mean, let's even go as far as the end of the episode when, you know, they prove data as a person and he does have the right to refuse he even goes as far as to say, you know, like, look, when you do some more research, I'll, I mean, the, the entire thing Data is saying throughout this is he doesn't have a problem with this research continuing. He doesn't have a problem with Maddox doing this research. But what he has a problem is at this point you're doing exploratory surgery on me in too risky of a fashion and I don't believe that the benefit is worth it. Right. You know, he's saying you study for a few years, you know, you can make the procedure safer and – demonstrate you're going to get some value from my time because let's face it you know you don't want data's willing to sacrifice he's a member of starfleet he's willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good like everybody on the ship he is willing to do that he doesn't feel that the greater good is going to happen from this is really his objection and yeah because he, he... If, if, if yeah if maddox said look we can this is going to quote kill you but i can with i can you know prove that i can create you know, all of these data that are going to help this, you know, if he put some raw numbers in front of data, data might have consented. And I think that's at the end data saying, you know, prove it to me and I might. And that's important. Possibly. But he I think. He does call data. He does essentially is call, saying Maddox is not being 
humble enough. He's being arrogant. He's doing a procedure. He's not going to learn anything because he thinks he's further than he is. Well, it's yeah, it's that. But I think, you know, and I think the care and I think you're talking about a very um, you're talking about a very strong script in general. Oh, yeah. And I do want to get into and it a does have. Bit. And that's the, the uh, you know, I will say, you know, there are these concerns about all of these. This is a very complex issue. And a complex episode, and one which deals with all the ramifications. So, yeah, that's not the entirety of his objections. No, of course not. And I think you know, I do want to get into some of the some of the background of the episode because I think it's interesting, and I think you'll find it interesting. But um, I do want to pick up on that thing about Maddox because one of the one of the smartest things that the script does is it doesn't portray him as a sort of like mustache twirling villain. No, he's arrogant. Certainly, hell yeah, he's brilliant. We we know that for a fact because the episode says and Data even says that. but he's not he's just kind of pig-headed in a way and he's he's very stubborn and he he's not able to see beyond his own prejudices which i think is interesting and you know what what this episode is really about is you know it's not about data really no. because data is we know data is alive like yeah. that's not a question that the show has ever really grappled with before because it's it's been sort of uh you know, uh, uh, I mean, we've seen it. Complete, <laughs> like you know, Picard says it, Riker says it. You know, everybody treats him as a as a person. Um, so that's not a question that the show is interested in answering necessarily. Yeah. What the sh- what the episode is about, really, I think, is the Federation confronting its own prejudices yeah. in a way and allowing for a, a, a stronger you know personhood to come through and and you know there's a lot of interesting stuff there with Maddox coming to terms with his own prejudices and I don't think that he's learned his lesson and I, I still no, I think he's closer I though. think he's cl- yeah he's you closer s- definitely well put it this way halfway through the okay here's your three points of sentience you know let's start looking into them you can almost see the moment where Maddox not only realizes that he's lost the case, but he realizes he genuinely is in the moral wrong that he has yeah, been convinced. Yeah. And he is, I mean, he spends the very, he spends a few minutes mortified and quiet. And then he spends the last couple of minutes, you know, sheepish and embarrassed. Like you can see the moment where he's saying, you know, oh God, like this is, I have been wrong. Like I, and. You know, I, I've you, and I, I think you, in, you read a lot like about I, I've been reading a lot about, you know, debate on the Internet and people who like debating, you know, does debate anybody, you know, convince everybody and pointing out logical flaws. And, you know, it almost shows the Federation as a society which does genuinely use debate in the way that it is intended to be. I mean, Picard says at a couple of points like, you know, the Federation wouldn't have slavery. The Federation wouldn't do this. And. The Federation doesn't do this. You know, it doesn't yeah. – it's going – you know, it, it needs – you know, Guinan is the one who is able to and, you know, as a – you know, she's not a Federation member. She's kind of just the bartender. Maybe she does have the – a different – you know, she certainly does have a different perspective and she is able to kind of see the issue for what it really is. But yeah, throughout the whole thing there, you know, the question is, is data property or not? And they – you know, that's what the Federation is – thinking about it that's what even picard is thinking of it in the terms of it and this episode is kind of the federation looking at that particular formulation saying no this is wrong this goes against our ethics this goes against our beliefs 
we need to reframe this question or we need to think about this question differently. Well, take take that a step further. I think in the same way that you had people arguing in the 19th century that African-Americans were not people. Yeah. Um, you know, that they, you know, and there were, there were arguments made for, for their, uh, you know, subhumanness in a way, you know, yeah. and, as a justification for keeping them in slavery. I mean, talk, they talk think, about how data was created to serve, you know. That. Right. <laughs> and I think, I think in a very similar way, what this sets up in the, in the way that Star Trek does best. And I think in the way that science fiction does yeah. best when it's written very well and thought out very well is you know, it creates a fictional prejudice on the part of the Federation where they understand mm-hmm. or, or organic life, right? And they understand that whatever they find that's alive, they want to protect. And if it meets the the, the, the the terms of sentience, that they will grant it personhood and they will grant it rights. Hell, we saw what, that with those little Christmas lights a few, you know. Y- yeah, exactly, in the first season. And so... Um, and, and going back to, to the original series with the devil in the dark again, you know, we, we see this over and over again in Star Trek, but, but what this episode does that I think is so strong is it takes that a step further and says, okay, well, you guys, you guys know that you need to protect organic life and you guys know that you don't have any claim over it. Um, what about artificial life? What about machines that are artificially intelligent? And the episode goes so far as to say they are people as well and so there's no there's no question that data now has all of the rights that any federation citizen has he will never have to be um worried about this happening to him again and you know i think that's a good thing and i think that's a strong thing for the federation but i think it's a strong thing for the show in general i mean the 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 real issue here is that of the soul i mean the the word is used once in the episode and you know, the the judge, she, you know, she says she doesn't really, I think the show does pause at the existence of a soul without the baggage of religion behind it. You know, if, if, if soul, personhood, sentient, they're all kind of the same term, really, for something that is ineffable. I mean, there there yeah. is something to, you know, when they say the, you know, at one point, I think it's interesting that they say, well, you know, Maddox says, well, Let's say I was resetting the computer. You talk to the computer, you know, would you be upset about that? Like you're the, getting a, the refit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, he's saying, you know, you're because he because data is anthropomorphized in such a, you know, detailed degree is, you know, the reason you are having these debates about personhood. And they don't really talk about the computer at the end. You know, they don't really go with that. Um, well, I think there's a I think there's a there's a you know, we've talked about this a little bit before, I think, with um in one one zero zero one zero zero one with Minuet and in Elementary yeah. Gear Data yeah, with, yeah. with uh, Moriarty, for example, where um or Long or Big Goodbye as well. Yeah, I think that this this episode in particular raises questions about the the rights and the personhood of artificial life forms is not really interested in answering them in terms of holodeck characters, but well, I think an argument could be made for the fact that you know the federation, you know the 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 enterprise computer is not um, is not artificially intelligent, uh, but it can create it, right? And so, is it is it a problem that Moriarty, for example, exists in the enterprise computer 
aren't they violating his rights by, in effect, keeping him in prison for no reason? Well, he did consent to that at the end of the episode, to be fair. But can, can it's you, interesting. Can that... you consent to be imprisoned, though? I mean, can you consent to be murdered? I, I don't think so. I mean, so. you can cons- I, I would say that, um, I mean, the, murdering legally you can't be, but in the case of prison, you can commit a crime and say, no, I, I deserve, I, I accept my punishment and, you know, societally this is the in the case of the Moriarty episode I got the sense that they were saying look you know we can't let you run amok but we'll put you in stasis till we figure out you know that's kind of your punishment in a way and he did seem to think that that was a fair consequence for his actions but but and I don't know how far I want to go down this 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 hole but there's no legal hearing involved in that there's there's it was it was all done on picard's say so and so i find that i find that problematic in light of of the measure of a man well here's the thing we can kind of see this added i mean this is an intended it it was not deliberately written as an arc but we can kind of see that i mean first we see in the big goodbye is kind of the first time we see a computer saying you know gee i exist and i don't want to not exist in Minuet, they see someone who is undeniably, you know, so much more complicated and someone who definitely does realize her own existence and does, you know, and yeah. they can't say that, you know, oh, Minuet doesn't have, you know, isn't a complex being, you know, they can't say that she's not worthy of, you know, when, then you have the Moriarty episode where they even more directly deal with that, where you see somebody preserving attempting to preserve his own existence yeah and so measure of a man is really kind of it's not the culmination because you know we still have some more series to go and i mean eventually the borg will give another wrinkle in that equation but yeah we this is another step in that determination of how does what do we preserve and how do we preserve it and what what do we consider to have again a soul well and I and I guess there's a degree to which you know the reason why Measure of a Man exists in, in an episode dealing with having a trial for for holodeck characters doesn't exist is that yeah there's no one to advocate for the holodeck characters right and there is someone to advocate for for data well we could get one because, of the other holodeck characters to advocate for the holodeck I mean that I think would be an episode you have a yeah maybe lawyer, but, but I think that you know there there would be no legal way that that would be acceptable right like that just wouldn't happen um but i think you know getting back to the measure of a man i think it's interesting that for example you know picard is acting as the defense and riker is acting as the as the prosecution of course and you know riker is very intent on proving data's machineness and it's sort of like this idea that okay, if he is a machine, then he can't also be a person. And so what I was thinking is, yeah. okay, well, data has an off switch, but in effect, people have off switches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't return them on, but I could certainly break your neck, and you would be dead, yeah. and you would be off in effect. Or you could um, knock out a person. You could drug a person. Yeah, that, that's yeah. kind of that. That's kind of the same thing. Um, and then, you know, Picard kind of hits on this idea that that's not the yeah. issue at all. And what I find interesting is that in, in very nice moments, and I think, you know, maybe this is a good opportunity to talk about, you know, the background of the episode a little bit. Because I, I think the, for example, I'm thinking about the Tasha Yar moment. That's actually, I do want to talk about. So, well, well, let me, let me go a little bit into the, the background of the episode yeah. first. And I think you'll find this interesting. So, 
um, uh, Melinda Snodgrass, who wrote this episode, um, wrote this as a as a spec script. Okay. Um, actually, George R. R. Martin uh, was a friend of hers and, and and told her to write a spec script and send it to the Next Generation. So she wrote this episode, and 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 she was a lawyer. Um, okay. She went to law school, and I think she practiced law for a while. I'm not sure about that, but she definitely was a lawyer. And so I think you can see that in the episode yeah. where it is very legalistic and it is very sort of like careful to um, use the correct terminology and to sort of use the sort of like right flavor of what this would actually feel or be like. Um, yeah, I, I loved how they have the characters kind of having to argue positions they don't believe in. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, that that's... Normally in trial shows, you have, you know, the lawyers believe in the cause, you know, you have Riker who is explicitly told, you know, you need to argue this position even though it's counter because that's your job and he has to do a good job. Yeah. And I think in certain, you know, I think you can see that a lot more in the opposite effect where, you know, I certainly have um, heard about defense attorneys who say, yeah, I, you know, I I defend people who I know are guilty, but that's my job. Um, and I do the best job I can because everybody deserves a defense, yeah. right? And I think in this episode, it's it's a little different than that because, of course, we want the prosecution to lose. We don't want the defense to, to lose. Um, but the interesting thing, I think, about this episode in general is that, you know, if we if we see sort of the arc of The Next Generation as, you know, the first season is a show which is very focused on, you know, feeling like the original series and, mm-hmm. and, and failing at that because, of course, the original series um, was sort of lightning in a bottle in a way. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you you can't remake that show. Um, you know, even the, the animated series was different. Uh, even the movies were different. Even the movies were different. Yeah. I mean, they were all different, you know, and certainly Star Trek has different flavors and Star Trek is, is something that is flexible enough to be interpreted in a wide variety of ways. And I yeah. think you're seeing that, especially as we go through the movies and series. But... I find it interesting that Melinda Snodgrass, who had never written for the show before, uh, had never written for television <laughs> before, as far as I know, um, wrote a spec script for the, you know, for the next generation. And it was only made because of the writer's strike and they were desperate for material. She, wow. she thought that, you know, okay, you send this spec script into the, into, yeah, the, usually into they... the producers and she got called into a meeting. I think she had, was living in, in, in New Mexico at the time and she went to LA and she thought that she would have to present like different ideas. And yeah, she they had a few different never ideas. Never use the spec script. Usually, you're right. S- yeah, and uh, no, they were like, "We want to use your script. Can you make these changes?" And she was like, "Yeah, sure." Yeah. I think it's interesting, and I think it's problematic for the show. Actually, that this is why I wanted to bring this up. That you know, someone who had never written for the show before, and I don't think someone who had ever written for television before, wrote the strongest episode <laughs> of the show in its one and a half season so far. Well, I think that's a problem. No, and I think I... it's, I think it's, it's indicative of a producer who doesn't really get the show that he's making. And I think it's indicative of a writing staff that doesn't really get the show they're making either well, that someone can yeah. come in and this is what the show feels like in the future. This is really yeah. like, you know, for example, the poker scene in the very beginning, um, I remember they, that's a recurring trope throughout the series, if, and that's something yeah. that was established in this episode. Okay. Um, I think that that's a problem for the people that are making the show now. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, at the end of the second season, they're all gone, except s- for Gene Roddenberry. Well, let, I mean, let, let's put the fact that, you know, we've had some very decent episodes, and we're about to, you know, we'll talk about the Defan in a few minutes, which is... <laughs> Do we have to? It's an awful episode, and you just have... 
<clears throat> yeah, I think she's more easily able to see. You know, it's kind of interesting. Just as Guinan is this character who is, you know, not really a Federation member and a little outside of things, she's able to cut through the bullshit and see what something really is. So Snodgrass was probably the same thing. She was a fan of the show, and she put in. This is kind of what the show looked like to her as somebody who watched the show and obviously, or maybe what she wanted the show to look like. A, a little of both. It, what what the show, what she saw the show could do. What the Federation, what, you know, you have Picard who's saying, you know, the Federation is this and the Federation is this, and you see the episode. The Federation realizes I need to make a change in order to be, to kind of to reach our potential to, you know, to be what we say we are. This is kind of. Her script is throwing down the gauntlet and say, all right, you're Star Trek. This is what Star Trek can be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really, and I think, yeah. I think you see that with especially the, the, the Tasha Yar moment in the episode. Oh, God. Um, so. I think the fact that, that, that Melinda Snodgrass was able to bring that into the episode it was real. It was a really strong moment, and I think it was a really touching moment. And I think it's nice to see that the show hasn't forgotten its own past. I was going to say. So the implication for me then was that Data and Yar continued to be lovers. I guess uh, I got that. I don't, no, I don't think. I don't. I don't think so. No, because I got that sense the way he actually. No, I know for a fact that's not true. Because that makes a lot of You'll, sense. I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that in two years when oh. we talk about something. But okay, yeah, because I, I I like that implication a lot. Actually, I think it gives both of them a I, that relationship makes a lot of sense for them because you can you know Yar was very you know career oriented and you know very much you know we don't really see their personal lives. We have never really seen most of they go to ten forward. That's about right the most right or they're in, hang out in the holodeck. That's about what recreation so far is. And I think and, there's a degree to which we don't know how much of a personal life you can really have on a structure. Of course. I mean, it's like the... You're you're living at your office, basically. It's like the military. So, yeah. I mean, it, you have as much, you know, personal life as a military officer would in real life. Um, but you can see Yar wanting to have closeness with somebody, but in a way that wouldn't interfere with her. And Data is a really perfect person to not let feelings get in the way of something. I mean, he is kind of the person who she would be able to have a compartmentalized relationship. You can see him definitely wanting to do something that's a little more human. And I mean, I, the two of them, I think, personality-wise were. I like that. I, I I definitely can see that, and I like that. Um, I know for a fact it's not true. Damn. Um, but... I kind of like the fact that it only happened once and Data has this strong connection to it. Because I think in a way, um, that's that's more indicative. I mean, you know, yes, the fact that if he had an ongoing relationship with with, with Tasha Yar, that would have been indicative of something. Yeah. I think the fact that he had a one one off sexual encounter with Tasha Yar that he found very moving and he found very sort of affecting and, and sort yeah. of lodged in his brain and he's able to, you know, keep that in his mind, I think is nice as well because I think that also, um, in a very different way, that that proves his personhood. Well that's it. I mean and that's why Picard, you know, has him I mean the the moment when he, you know, for is packing and he has the little picture, I was I found that one of the most touching moments that the series has had so far because, you know, 
I had even completely actually at that moment forgotten that, you know, the two of them during the Naked Now had gotten together. And yeah, and how great is it that the episode can can take something that was played yeah. for laughs and, and turn it into a really sort of like emotionally yeah. resonant moment? Because that moment actually did happen. You know, I, I they were just drunk. They probably did, ha- you know, but yeah, I, I I thought that was very nice. I I liked that it and it kind of makes me want to rewatch the skin of evil unfortunately because i do want to see that ending when this gives me a very different this colors that's very last conversation between data and picard you know when he's talking about the memorial service and he's saying you know I know we should be thinking about her, but I'm thinking about myself. And Picard says, you know, no, that's – you got the point of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now we have a little clearer – he lost someone that he kind of loved almost, you know, mm-hmm. that he was – if he had a repeated relationship with her, he was losing a lover. If he had just one moment of her, that was – Maybe in both of their minds, they figured when we have more time, you know, that was for that skin of evil is effectively completely closing that door. Yeah. And that kind of makes that even more poignant. Yeah. 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 I think either way. Yeah. Either way, what it, I mean, Picard's point is that, look, this, you know, Data had a relationship with a human woman. I mean, if you want to, you can't get any much more of being a person than that. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think it's also interesting that the episode sets up a prior interaction between, uh, uh, you know, the, the JAG officer and, and Picard. I liked her as actually. well. And I think it's really smart. And I think, again, it's something that the script is really smart about is that, you know, having them have a prior interaction, uh, colors that and sort of deepens that those moments where they're having those conversations in a way that it wouldn't have if they were just two strangers who were sort of disagreeing about something. But here's the thing. Again, one of the main subtext of this episode is that the law has to be as objective and dispassioned as possible. In a, you know, they you have characters, you have Riker arguing aside he doesn't believe in and is actively believes against um and not only that but there's an implication that that um you know there's a line about something about uh, uh, the jag officer says that 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 when people disagree sometimes they have to resort to this adversarial yeah. system which implies that it's not something that happens a lot anymore. well i mean this, so this so is even from... to the degree where yes it's uncomfortable for someone to have to argue a position that they don't believe yeah. in but it's 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 probably doubly uncomfortable for all of these people because um, this is not something that they do very often. Well, this in is general. a thing where you remember Picard declared a fight at a party done. That's pro- you know, th- yeah. th- this is you know, it's a mandate in the show Bible that characters main cast can't disagree with each other. So yeah, this is we're all on the same team. We're all in the Federation. We're all friendly. You know, they they kind of. It's it's much more common, I would assume, for everybody. Just okay, we're going to hang out in a room and we'll talk until we figure this out, and we don't, you know need a mediator really right and the fact that you know she also it's not just that she was you know it's i i don't know what the if the extent of their relationship is really clear but they had certainly had you know they were intimate you know they they whether they did or if they weren't she wanted them to be whether yeah whether they had a long relationship or went on a couple dates either way she was she was the officer at the stargazer trial yeah. And that's significant because that's her kind of 
having to be very thorough in finding information against a loved one. Yeah. I mean, she's, yeah. you know, so she is acting as dispassionate and for the law. She's, she is, she argued a position she might not have believed. She certainly would not have believed Picard capable of his actions, but that's not the, that, that, That's not that, the point. Yeah, yeah. The, the law is higher than that. And at the end, you know, I love that moment at the end where, you know, we, when she said, see, this thing does work sometimes. You know, she's – they don't make her a bitch, and I like that because I could very easily have seen yeah. a show doing that. You know, they make her a complex character, and they don't make her wrong right. to be, view, you know, viewing the law in this way because they – in fact, they do agree that, yeah – Laws are in place for a reason. It's, and in this case, sometimes the system does is not designed to oppress a person. Sometimes the system can be the system it says it is. And I think it's interesting that a very mechanistic system like uh, a, a trial um, frees data because yeah. Maddox's whole argument rests upon. No, he's not a person. He he is a facsimile of a person. He looks like a person, but you know he has sort of heuristic yeah. algorithms that make him appear to be human. But he's not. He's just a machine. He's pretending to be a real person. Um, and so the fact of the matter is that you know this sort of very mechanistic trial system yeah. sets him free. I think is interesting because it kind of says, well, yeah, just because something is mechanistic doesn't mean that it's not life-like or full of life or yeah. or has any sort of value. And that's it. I mean, again, that's whole that's Picard's whole point of, you know, we're just bi- we're biological machines. You know, we don't, you know, to a degree emotions might be neurochemistry. We might not completely understand that yet, but, you know, 500 years we might be able to get the brain into a series of algorithms. That doesn't make you know, th- th- this this episode is saying that that's Whatever. Okay. It doesn't. It doesn't oh, yeah. matter. Okay. So we've got. Yeah. Again. So we've got wires as opposed to gooey stuff. You know, making this emotion. It's still something that a being is feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this being is feeling nine stars. Yeah. I, um. I'll give it a ten. I want to leave room for dessert. <laughs> <laughs> uh. This a, is a, a little taste to remember me by. I wish I could say that uh, things were as good as this um f- from now on uh, but it's not true because now we have to talk about the dauphin so let's do that so wesley's a total piece of shit yeah this is the episode that lets us know that in no uncertain terms. oh God, you know the the entire time i'm re- i'm like oh it's wesley doing here you know and he's awkward and fine and he's like fuck you you're a monster and then he gives her ice cream and i'm like I, I have no sympathy for this character. Anymore. This was a very chocolate heavy episode. Yeah. Uh, for, for reasons that I, I don't really understand. Because chocolate's delicious. It, it, it's funny because, you know, um, you know, we just talked about the measure of a man. And, uh, you know, I think that it, these two pairing of episodes are interesting because the measure of a man portrays Data as a much better person than Wesley does in the Dauphin. Like, he <laughs> is awful. and I he, mean, he's a 15-year-old boy, yes, but... At the same time, like, that's a reason I'm glad I'm not a 15-year-old boy and I don't talk to 15-year-old boys. You know what I mean? Like, they're they're... Right, right. And and, and there's all these scenes about, you know, and here, okay, so so this is the interesting thing, right, is that um, this is an episode that is predicated upon uh, nothing happening, basically. 
Um, oh, and I think God. we should get this out of the way that Ufan is, is not a good episode oh, of the show. It was. Uh, there were points when it was enjoyably terrible. Yeah. Anytime you have this guardian creature thing, I loved it because it was just so bad. It and was I, funny. Yeah. I, I, it, it was sort of like a combination of the troll from Troll 2 and, and an Ewok. I was going for Land of the Lost, but I can see that. Yeah, like, I think that's <laughs> – well, we could go all three, really. <laughs> yeah, I um, mean it was awful, but it was funny. funny. Well, I did not expect that <laughs> thing to happen. Yeah, and, and the director of this episode, uh, I was reading, um, he thought the costumes looked terrible. Whoa, shock. No. And he wanted to use them as little as possible, which is why he didn't see them much in the episode. So I think that that's interesting in and of itself. Um, why did they use Madshin and Meek as little as possible, though? I don't know. She was in one scene, and she's lovely, and we all like her, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's very bizarre. Um, why did they even bother hiring her for that scene? Like... <laughs> Well, I think it's interesting because, you know, this is a, again, it's a Wesley episode, like coming of age. Wesley is not an interesting character. We are learning Wesley is not an interesting character because 15-year-old boys, as a general rule, are not interesting. Um, And as they've moved away from examining Wesley's sort of savant-level geniusness, he's become a very boring character. and. There's no dramatic tension in anything that happens in this episode. It's basically a taxi episode, right? The Enterprise yeah. is ferrying two people to this from one planet to another planet. Wesley is is trying to mack on this woman, yeah. which actually turns out to be some sort of shimmering light creature at the end of the episode. And, you know, the the... The the caretaker woman in the episode is really the only thing that acts as any sort of, like, dramatic fulcrum. And, you know, really, is the only reason why she acts like this is because the script wants her to act no like plot. this. Because yeah. there, there would be no plot otherwise. It would just be 45 minutes of aimless wandering. As it is, it's 40 minutes of aimless <laughs> wandering and five minutes of, of Worf and this old woman. I think they're flirting. You know, I think Worf yeah, wants, I got, I, she's flirting with him, but I don't think he likes her. Like, in that scene at the end, like... She's all just like, oh, I mean, very obviously for Worf, battle and sex are 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 very interlinked. Um, they they kind of are metaphors for each other when he's speaking, and he always talks about mating rituals as being very violent, and you know he likes a woman who can beat the shit out of him. Um, you know, but at the end, and when she's saying, you know, oh, you're a great warrior, I'd love to be fighting on the same side as you. You know, you are wor-, you know, and he says you're a worthy opponent, which is. I think a genuine compliment, but I don't think he's into her, and I think he's weirded out by that. That That's how I think he took the, well, fight on the same side. Because she is being creepy at that point, you know, she, and given her behavior, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, suddenly I'm just going to be friendly. Sorry, I was just doing my job. Maybe she's bipolar. She could be. I, yeah, it's weird, right? Because, you know, on the other hand, she's a, she's a what do they call it? An elastomorph? Um, yeah. Which is a terrible term. That's that's uh, right up there with Cashin. Yeah. I don't know why they just didn't call them shapeshifters. Like, it, that, that's what they are, right? Yeah. Um, you know, she, she could turn into a buxom Klingon woman for Worf. Yeah. And I don't think that, I, I don't think that Worf would have gone for it, but I, I think that, you know, it would have been something that she could have at least tried if she really wanted to have sex with him. So maybe she didn't want to have sex with Worf, and we were actually just reading sex into this like we do everything. That that could be. It could be. Um, 
you know, we, the, the, there, there was nothing in the well because the actual romance plot was so dull. Well, here, okay, so 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 I am going to go on a weird tangent, and I hope that this works. Oh no, um, you know, I am under the impression that Wesley is gay. I think you agree with me. I I think I said that if it turned out like if we in ten years if he were star fleeting with another man, I would not be surprised. Yeah, I. I, obviously not Will Whedon, but Wesley I, I has a quality. I kind of feel like this would have been a much better episode and a much more interesting episode if this had been Wesley's coming out episode. Like, and there's no, there is no possible way that this show would have done it well. No. So I think it's probably a good thing that they didn't do it. And of course it's 1988 and so you couldn't have gay characters on television in 1988 in general. Um, you certainly weren't going to have a 15-year-old boy, gay boy on television in 1988. That just was a non-starter. Um, you know, so, so, so let's pretend that they were going to do this. You know, I think that it's interesting because he immediately sees Celia and is enchanted by her, uh, calls her perfect. It's some sort of like idealized yeah. thing that he's doing. Um, I mean, she's not an unattractive girl. Let's she, she's, face it. It's for a 15 year old boy. That is kind of enough. She's not. But what I find interesting about Wesley's reactions to her in this episode is that, you know, if, for example, they're in 10 forward and she runs away and Guinan has to tell him to run after her, yeah. for example. Um, he doesn't really seem to um, he doesn't really seem to want to touch her. Uh, he doesn't really seem to know what to do. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can only color this through my own experiences with with trying to get with women when I was younger. But, yeah, uh, it, it certainly wasn't anything that I was interested in. It certainly wasn't anything that came naturally to me. So for me, it's interesting to watch this because it really does seem like Wesley is doing what everybody thinks he should be doing, which is going after the beautiful young woman who just appeared on the Enterprise. But he doesn't really seem all that interested in it. I mean, there there is the fact that part of the reason that it's because it is not just her, you know, beauty that he, you know, that's striking to him. You know, she does talk to him about he has this little gadget and she knows about it. She's obviously studied like the two of them obviously have science stuff they can talk about. Oh, I think they would be great friends. Yeah. Yes. And um, they're 15. You know what I mean? Like that. That's kind of what dating at 15 is really. Yeah, that that that's true. I suppose as far I as mean, that goes, I guess you talk stakes and low stakes, and we don't take the heartbreak of a fifteen-year-old boy very seriously. I guess. No, I guess we don't. And that's you but, know, uh, but 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 you know, I just I don't think that I don't think he's interested in her sexually. That's all I'm saying. Like, you know. It just seems very strange to me. Um, and then you know, and the fact of the matter is, too, you know, there's another. <laughs> Let, let's go with Jordy as a creepy gay pedophile uh, for a second. Um, there's that scene in Engineering where Wesley is whatever pretending to be star starstruck by Celia and yeah. can't can't fix the thing. And you know Jordy has no patience for this whatsoever. Yeah. He's like, "Get the fuck out! I don't care. You, I don't have time for this. You need to leave." He's jealous. Jordy is jealous that Wesley <laughs> is like having a little bit of a fling with one of the guest stars. And it's because, a lady, and it's a lady, and, it's a and lady. he he wants to have he he wants to have a fling with Wesley. That that's all I'm saying. That's it, all I'm saying. That's fair if that's what happens, and you know something. It's the twenty something second fourth twenty fourth century. Yeah, and maybe there's different standards on these things. I like how no one really takes him seriously. I love the scene with uh, Guinan and and Riker when they're 
you know, doing, you know, they're basically improv, you know, doing this little, you know, tell me more about my eyes and all of this stuff. They're making fun of him. Worf is making fun of Wesley, and that's hilarious. He is, because Worf, I think, knows how terrifying Klingon sex will sound to a 15-year-old boy, particularly one who may or may not be gay. Right. So he's having fun with this, and then he refers him to Data, who is the last person who is really going to be good at this kind of thing and you're with me that klingons totally are just like having gay sex all the time right oh they're they're just they're they're spurting everywhere it's yeah disgusting yeah, yeah why do you think those ships are so dingy maybe that's maybe they have like dirt colored semen oh that's not a good image i don't like that at I'm all i'm sure somebody has written a story to this effect yeah maybe yeah and, and the funny thing is like i don't find Worf's, you know, explanation of what the Klingon mating ritual in quotes is like, uh, you know, aside from the fact that I would really hate to be in a Klingon pickup bar because can you imagine, yeah. you know, 50 yelling Klingon women all the time? Um, <laughs> they probably have like a corral area, you know, like a, kind of like a dance floor, you know, like I'm sure there's areas off to the side, you know, where you can have a drink, but you know, then like all the collapsing, you know, it's it's a social thing. You don't, yeah, you don't, you know, yell in the in the one room, like yeah. smoking or non. Yeah, of. well, I guess it's one of those things where it's like a Klingon woman yells at you, and you send her over a you know jug of blood wine or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't really get Klingons, uh, and I don't think the show really gets them yet either. But you know, aside from that, I think that you know. What what Worf is trying to do in, you know, telling Wesley this is, you're right, I think he's trying to, like, he's fucking with him, basically, yeah. he's trying to scare him off a little bit. But I think everybody is fucking with Wesley. That's it, like, episode. nobody takes him really seriously about this, at, because, I mean, Guinan at the very end does say, you know, you know, at the very end she does have a, the one serious talk with him, and she does, you know, give the good advice, and, you know... Cheesy as that is, I mean, someone needed to, but at the same time, you know, everyone else is realizing, yeah, I remember when I was 15 and I had my first heartbreak, you know, oh man, you know, this is finally, you know, now that I'm seeing it on the, as an adult, you know, they're amused by it in a way because they know this is going to suck, but you get over it and he is going to remember it fondly, you know. And I guess there's a level to which, you know. His first beard. Yeah. And I, I guess there's a level to which, you know, it, it would have been nice if uh, Dr. Crusher was in this episode. That's it. Like, he de- that's, that's actually, I do find it a little almost sad because he doesn't have anyone to go to. No, he doesn't. I and mean, you he know, would he... at least go to his, you know, at least have his mom around, you know. He doesn't have, I mean, Wesley is a very, I, he can be, he probably is a very lonely person because he doesn't have any, you know, kids his age aren't as smart as he is. And, yeah, I mean, I know what it's like to be a smart kid and socially isolated. Yeah, he, uh, now I feel really bad for Wesley. Well, I think, oh, don't feel bad for Wesley. I, I think there's a degree to which Guinan is sort of acting as a surrogate mother. Because yeah. she also, they also had a moment, I think, in the in the child in the very first episode of, of the season where, you know, she what, she basically gave him advice to the effect of, you know, if you want to stay on the Enterprise, stay on the Enterprise. Yeah. Um, and I think in this episode, she she kind of serves that purpose again. And so, I mean, she serves the purpose of being whatever people, I mean, we saw in Measure of a Man, she's... You know, she's the one who gives Picard. She is, I think I said, like, she kind of takes the role that Troy, you would think, would be taking. Well, Guinan is the one who, you know, because she's not a Starfleet member, and I think even because she's not human, 
Um, oh, she's which, not. No, she's not. Okay. Uh, that that that's something that is established later. Well, yeah. Um, not that it really matters all that much. Oh, guy just spoiled it oh, for God. you. Um, you know that. I mean, how could she be human with hats like that? Come on. <laughs> Uh, that that really she is acting this way because she is able to cut through all the bullshit. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, she's a bartender. You know, that's that's the thing you tell. What is it? Sometimes a man will tell stuff to his bartender. He won't tell it to his doctor. Right. And I think it's nice that the, the show. I think it's nice that the show added her to the cast. I think she adds something really great yeah. to the show. And I also think that it's great that they have a character that is able to have some sort of internal conflict your external conflict i should say with the other characters because yeah if there's one thing that's been a problem with the show so far it's that none of the characters disagree ever yeah. and she's able to not disagree necessarily but she's able to give them an alternative to what they're thinking well yeah she's it, almost socratic in a way yeah she takes a very, and I knew I knew she was a character, and I knew she was the one who gave the life advice. And you know, I know everybody has an epiphany when they talk to Whoopi Goldberg. I knew that was kind of her role, but I didn't know how sarcastic the character was going to be. You know, and she you know, I'm, I'm, gl- a- I'm glad she is because you know that's you know you don't cast Whoopi Goldberg in a non funny role. It's, it's in something a way, the show needs, and I think yeah. you know you're right. I think that sarcastic edge is is something that is really striking about her character and it's not even that she's very sarcastic no what she does she usually takes uh she's very she takes on the she devils advocates a lot in a lot of ways or takes on a confrontational position or you know disagrees with another character mostly to get the other character to realize Again, you know, with with Card when she's saying, you know, oh, I wouldn't call that slavery, and he's, you know, saying, no, I would, you know, it it kind of solidifies that in his mind. You yeah, know, with, yeah. With Wesley, I think he does need to kind of her her and her her, her and Riker going on this cliched, you know, date, you know, type of simulation. In a way, oh, I, think, I loved that, scene. which was wonderful. Again, just just in terms, it was it was hilarious. Um, just in terms of. He needs to see how by that age this is what this will be so internalized. This is a dance that everybody knows by right, adulthood. Right. He's going through it for the for the first time and he's doesn't know what to do. And that's even kind of showing him like this is gonna be so second nature to you in twenty years. Like you are not gonna be worried about this. And you know, she says, Yeah, it's gonna suck. It's always gonna suck. It's never gonna be easy, but you'll be familiar with it. And you know, I, I I like that. You know, when she's with Data in the comedy episode, and she's not laughing at him, yeah. she's saying, you know, no, you're not funny, you're not funny. At the end, she says, well, there's other stuff. You know, right? right. It's okay that you know you're not a the funny character. And she's also able to, yeah. I mean, and some of this is Whoopi Goldberg, obviously, but I think the character she's creating with Guinan is 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 very. Um, is 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 nice, but also has a little bit of an edge to her, you know. Yeah. Because, for example, you know, when when Riker and she are, are having that sort of like cliched, you know, romantic conversation, um, which is a great scene, and they play off each other really well. And I like it. I do like that Wesley immediately reacts like, "Wait, what? Yeah, is this a? Oh God, okay, right, <laughs> right." And and you know, she she tells him to shut up. It's it's done in a dismissive way, but it's also done in sort of a loving way. Yeah, just well, kind of like you know, you're a little <laughs> shit kid. You're fine. You'll, you'll be all right. Don't worry about it. We're ha- the adults are having fun right yeah. now. Yeah. Whereas contrast that with the way that Picard told him to shut up in in the first season. That was mean. Like that yeah. was just you know like that was really unnecessary. And uh, 
it's it's something to do with the way that she's able to get these things across. It's something the show needed, frankly. Yeah. I, and I don't, and I, and I also think the fact that we're talking about Guinan so much in an episode where she appeared for about five minutes is well, indicative of the quality of this episode that's as well. In every every episode she's been in, she does know how. I mean, costuming is half of the work there, but you know, yeah, she she is a very scene stealing character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about um, Celia uh, uh, and and what is her caretaker's name? I forget. A- Alia Anya. Or Anya. Yeah. Um, which which was confusing me to no end because that's a character from Buffy. But you know, I've said before on track about that I don't like plots that are dependent on characters <clears throat> keeping information back for no reason other than um, uh, other than the fact that there would be no It'll plot if they ten minutes right. <laughs> And, you know, this isn't quite that, but it is that in a way because, number one, they don't tell anybody that they're they're shapeshifters. And Well, here's the thing, like— every- And number two, there's no reason—there's no reason why they would need to uh, do these repairs. It just kind of, like, pads the episode, you know, yeah. while Jordy needs to take off the—you know, needs to take the warp drive out. Okay, well, all right. That, that's why we have an episode. It doesn't seem like it would be— a policy that Picard would necessarily agree to when he has an important mission to do. Like, even though this isn't a combat or a dangerous mission, ostensibly, it is a fairly major one involving a civil war that is, you know, they they are effectively attempting to end. So I don't know if he would say, like, look, we'll get there in five hours, you know, on regular warp. Just hang out and do it next week, you know. There's I, no reason why he needs yeah. to do it right then and there. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think the other thing that's really terrible about this episode is the relationship between Anya and Celia doesn't really seem to exist. I don't believe that they've known each other for, for whatever, you know, 20 years or whatever. Um, they don't, they seem to have just met and, I, and she's, yeah. and, she, and, and, and Anya seems to be, you know, extremely dismissive in a, in a mean way to Celia and to her emotions and to her needs and and also just the fact that that you know Celia is supposed to be younger and does not have the sort of cachet and does not have the sort of like you know regency that perhaps she will have later on in her life yeah. and I think that's fine I, I like the actress that played Celia yeah you know, she doesn't she doesn't have a great part and she doesn't have great lines but but nobody has great lines that are a great part in this episode um, but I just don't I don't I don't buy the connection there I don't buy that they have any sort of real relationship you know just as Anya can shape shift forms her emotions kind of just. St- change on a dime one second she's angry then she's sweet then she's you know very stern and then she was very regretful and motherly and then she's a sex pot like there's there's just it's it's the worst no comp with no continuity between them it's it's the worst sort of changing the the motivations and actions of a character to fit the plot other than the other way around like i mean i can i can see about 10 different ways that this episode could have gone that could have been much more interesting than what we got they wanted anya and salia to be kind of a mother-daughter relationship and i thought actually at the end that they were going to reveal that she actually was her mother but um yeah that that's something that there are times when, yes, that's clear, that's fine, you know, and that in, you know, in each individual scene, I'm fine with the emotion that she is expressing. I'm fine with that, except there are a series of isolated scenes, you know, right. the scene where she's yelling at her in the, in the cabin and saying, no, you can't go out. I can see a stern guard who hates her charge saying that, and I can see a mother hating that, you know, saying that. 
um, the scene where she's yeah, at the, you know, but I can't tell what she's being, and you know, in the motherly scene doesn't justify that one. The you know threatening scene doesn't justify it. She, I don't know. And I I think you hit the nail on the head there with with the con, you know with the concept that this is really an episode with which is a series of isolated scenes. Yeah, there's no there's no through plot here. There nothing happens. It it really is the worst sort of, of of aimless wandering. Yeah. And I thought that we had left this behind, and apparently we did not. I mean, I liked a lot of the individual scenes, I have to say. I thought the scene with Dr. Pulaski was hilarious. And, you know, she's just like... Oh, where she's threatening... She's like, kill the patient. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> um, no, they're... they're... Yeah, that, that, that whole... Andrew's like, well, yes, mathematically, there is a chance, you know. Well, you you mentioned, I think, in, in talking about Loud as a Whisper that you didn't like the way it was edited and i think that's a large part of the problem with this episode is that it does yeah. seem to be edited very strangely yeah, like it seems it, like they took it seems like they almost took random scenes from other episodes and put them together in yeah some it feels sort of like way. a clip show yeah I, I i i don't know and and i mean going back to which is not something that star trek does, does. i mean the menagerie notwithstanding yeah but, yeah yeah um i mean you talk about you know they're keeping the shape shifting a secret but like for a minute it seems that that's what they're doing when they're talking to Celia in their quarters, and, you know, she's the little teddy bear whatever thing. Like, she's, oh, hide, hide, you know. And that's fine, but then five minutes later, you know, Anya reveals herself, and she doesn't really seem to... She seems to be only saving that reveal for the most dramatic moment. Right. But, you know, beyond that, beyond just the tactical advantage it gives her, she doesn't seem to have any... Like, this is not really a secret. It's not something that they're trying to keep hitting. It's hidden. It's just something we didn't tell you yet, but we don't have a problem telling you when the subject comes up. Yeah, and I think that scene where Celia tells, you know, Anya to hide is interesting as well because, of course— she doesn't need to hide. I mean, she can she can yeah. modify her shape on a, on a whim and on a dime. Like yeah. it takes her two seconds. So I don't know why and she needed impl- to do that either. And it's again, it's just the episode that it, it it keeps forgetting what it's about, and it keeps forgetting that that uh, its own rules. Basically. Yeah, even even assuming that Celia still at that point doesn't want Wesley, or you know, I can see Celia being embarrassed of her shape shiftingness and fine, right? But she also. Up till that, you know, once they find out that Anya's a shapeshifter, everyone immediately assumes, okay, well, you know, Celia's human or humanoid, and she has this protector that's this other being. You know, they they don't, you know, they they they, they there was no re- that that's not even like she needed to hide it to for her own embarrassment. I don't right, know. right. I mean, we are asking a fifteen-year-old girl to act logically, and that's it. You know, but I mean, at the end of the day, I would like to say that. This, if it weren't for the writer's strike and it weren't for the fact that they were desperate for scripts, this would not have gotten made. But there are so many episodes of the show in the first season and, 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 and not as many in the second season, thankfully, so far, um, that, that just feel perfunctory. They just feel like they didn't have enough material. And so they just really needed to, uh, they needed anything All to right, make. All right, we got these two costumes, just like run around and terrorize people and we'll make something out of it. Yeah, I don't know what the point of this episode is. I don't know what it it says. It doesn't say anything about any of the characters. And I just find that, you know, after the two punch last week of unnatural selection and a matter of honor and then the measure of a man, like the show yeah. has been on a great upswing and, it just ground to a halt with this episode. Hey, you know, I, I'm sorry about 
all the costumes <laughs> and about, you know, Wesley's first heartbreak and the Thalian chocolate mousse, but it was a good collection of scenes, but it went nowhere. I would say it's a four. Yeah, I think that's about right. I, I liked it a little less than that, so I think I give it three I would chocolate enjoy, mousses. But, I would watch yeah. clips of this episode. Like, I, I think that's it. Like, I would watch the scene with Pulaski. I would watch, you know, the guy, the guy in Riker's scene. Like, those were funny. Those were really great moments. Those were kind of, yeah, during that, the uh, but that also seemed a lot more acting than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. So, All right, well, next week we are going to be talking about Contagion. And the Royale. So join us then.